Hello, and welcome. This is the What If I Told You podcast, a show where we maintain our amateur status so we can compete in the podcast Olympics. How very topical. I haven't watched hardly any of the Olympics other than what's been on um, when I wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning for no reason, and like for some reason the TV just puts itself on those channels like after Netflix shuts off. Hmm. Um, Interesting. I don't know what (laughs) sport it was, maybe just like canoeing, but it was, I woke up one morning, it was very intense and unnecessary, and I'm like sitting there half awake waiting for my coffee to brew, and I'm like, this is making me sweat. There's people out here. I can't, I cannot describe. If you haven't seen it, you have to watch it because it's fucking exhausting. Is it like the multiple person in one boat no, rowing? It's or not kayaking? the row. It's like kayaking. Okay, or canoeing. Yeah. What the fuck ever? I, I don't kayaking. know the difference. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was crazy intense. I love the Olympics. It's one of my absolute favorite things to watch. Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics, I just really don't care. Mm-hmm. I'll watch pretty much any event also. Okay. Table tennis, that is an Olympic sport. Absolutely. And I love it. I've never seen more intensity in a game of ping pong than Olympic (laughs) ping pong. The sounds. It's, so it's always, that's like one of those that they know is not a big ratings catcher. Right. So it's on at like 3 a.m. Yeah. And so if you're catching ping pong, what are you doing up at 3 a.m.? You're either hammered or have very bad insomnia. That's right. So I happened to catch it accidentally several, like several Olympics ago. And I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen. (laughs) I can't stop watching these two people with their ping pong. It's absolute pandemonium. I remember my, the second half of senior year in high school, I didn't take my PE credit until senior year. Oh, I did the opposite. A lot of people get it done their freshman year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But anyways, um, I was with child Mm -hmm. (laughs) we couldn't do most of the things, you know, we couldn't be playing fucking dodgeball. Absolutely not. And I'm sure Alexis will remember this because she was also pregnant. (laughs) Um, We had our ping pong unit come up. (laughs) Our PE teacher was so excited for us because me and Alexis could actually like participate in class. Nice. Yeah, it was fun. I'm horrible at it. Yeah, I'm not very good at it either. I don't think I've played ping pong since then. Mm. We had a ping pong table at my mom's when I was in high school, but I was really bad at it. We should get one. (laughs) We'll get a pod pad (laughs) ping pong table. (laughs) The alliteration. (laughs) Oh, goodness. So we're like super sorry that we haven't had an episode in two weeks, but... Emily got hit by a truck. Yeah, I am. (laughs) I just got completely fucked. 
No, things have been very crazy. Um, there was a lot of quarantining going on. Mm. That was the worst. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah. So here we are. Yeah, so the hiatus happened. And honestly, in the past, we've always, like, made an attempt to say, hey, there's, like, not going to be anything. But we just didn't. <laughs> We just not even like an for, Instagram post for absolutely no reason at all. We just, just wanted to build some suspense, right? Because I know a- these people out here in Idaho are wondering when the fuck we're gonna release another episode. Yes, wow, yes, they are. They are with bated breath awaiting. So, before we get into that. Um, please follow us on Instagram for the love of God. <laughs> and Well, I mean, you wouldn't have seen anything the past two weeks, but whatever. And TikTok, what if I told you? Podcast? Yes, mm-hmm. that is our, that is our TikTok, what if I told you podcast. We will never get them all right. No. And our email is what if I told you podcast at gmail.com. That is open 24-7, along with our Instagram DMs, mm-hmm. and I guess TikTok DMs. Oh, yeah. I forget that, like, TikTok has a DM Which is option. weird, because... We send each other DMs <laughs> all the time. 40 times a day. Yes. Speaking of TikTok, I have to say that a TikToker I've been watching a lot of is from Kansas City, and yes. his name is Andrew. Uh-huh. He's an attorney, and I feel like I've seen him before in person. I don't know. Maybe. Hit I, him up. He's really funny. And I sent like three of his recent TikToks to Dakota and then he just responded with Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Dakota. So I don't know if he thought <laughs> and it is weird that I sent him like three TikToks of a guy. I didn't even think about it. It was just that he had multiple videos pop up on my For You page, like, within a couple videos of each other, and Mm -hmm. they were all hilarious. One was about, like, possum teeth. Yes. I sent it to you. Mm -hmm. And I was just, like, laughing to myself, and I was like, Dakota needs to see this. And Dakota just shit all over you. Yeah. I just had no other thought about it at all. But now that I'm saying it out loud, it does seem weird that I'm sending him three TikToks of a guy from Kansas City. Get out of here, Dakota. It's not what you think. It is. (laughs) He does have very nice teeth. He does. (laughs) Which is why he's talking about possum teeth. (laughs) Oh, shit. So, um, it is 6.30 p.m. on a Tuesday. There's no food involved. There is a square of chocolate in front of me, though. Yeah, Ghirardelli chocolates, to be exact, because we we are fancy. Yes, I will settle for nothing less than this. Mm. So, chocolate and water, and Maddie has a (laughs) nasty fucking grapefruit truly. I'm drinking grapefruit truly. If that doesn't tell you who Maddie is as a person, I just don't know. (laughs) It's bitter. But fresh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. If a drink could define you. 
Oh, I am <laughs> a little out of it. Okay, so we do have some mail. Now, I want to preface this mail by saying, I didn't realize that you could Facebook message a business page. Absolutely, you can. <laughs> I didn't know this, and so when I got this message, I was like, uh, and we do not post to our Facebook page anymore. No. We fell off. Because you know what? Facebook is antiquated. Facebook is dead. It's so dead. And really, unless you are over the age of 35. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Get on Instagram and follow us. That's right. Whatever So, dudes. anyway, now that I've thoroughly insulted the person that just sent us this <laughs> message... <laughs> Um, we got a message. I'm about to eat this chocolate. Sorry, I'm the wrapper. Eat away. Oh, I broke it. Damn. Okay, so we talked several for several episodes about how we are not getting any listens from Idaho as a state. Ridiculous. So, in defense of Idaho, we have John. J-O-N. J-O-N, John. No H to be seen. He sent us a message, and this is his message, verbatim. Hello from Idaho, exclamation point. On your Ode to Idaho podcast, you mispronounced Cassia County. That's how we said it. It sounds like Cassia County, just an FYI. I will now just go fuck right off. (laughs) So, John from Idaho, thank you so much. We love you. We love you, and your sign-off will go down in podcast history. Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't have told Idaho to fuck off. Well, it was it was an emotional response. Yes, absolutely. You I, know. I take it back. We take rejection very poorly. Mm-hmm. And Idaho, we were just feeling rejected by you. And and I mean, in Idaho of all places, like, what is our favorite food? Potatoes! I just don't understand. You know, we have been financially donating to the state of Idaho our whole lives consistently. <laughs> I have Idaho potatoes in my cabinet right now. Mm. But Idaho, you guys as a collective, now have J-O-H-N from Idaho to thank... John. J-O-N. No H. Did I say H? Yeah. Damn it! How you thoroughly pissed him <laughs> off. John, we're much better in the morning. Oh, God. So, we mispronounced the name, and it is... Now, I am reading it Kasha County. I, when I read it, I read Kasha, but... That is C-A-S-H. Right. Cash. See, my initial, when I very first read the message, I also said, oh, Kasha. And then I thought, but that says cash. So, John, we're going to need you to message us again <laughs> and be a little more specific. <laughs> oh, shit. So, we love you, John. J-O-N. J-O-N. Um, Thank so, you. Thank you, Idaho. 
Um, we are forever in your debt. We don't know if we have any other listeners besides John in Idaho, though. We'll find out. I don't know. Tell your friends, John. <laughs> the stats will tell us. Um, speaking of John, I don't know where the fuck Chip has been. Yeah, what? He's been MIA as much as we have. Are you okay, dude? Hey, did you get hit by a truck? I mean, I guess between now and next Monday, I could probably text him to see if he's okay, but you'll hear it on Monday. Yeah. I mean, I see you're, you posting a snap and shit, so mm-hmm. he's kicking. Um, let us know what's happening, dude. Yeah. That's sure. it. Today, we are talking about Diet Love Pass. The incident at Diet Love Pass. That's that's right. This was a listener request from, from way back. Way back. We have just been fucking up left and right here. Um, I had this on the list about 15 episodes ago. Yes. That's fine. It's um, fine. Tyler, this one is for you. I love you very much. All right, and we're going to do it now. Okay. So, you may be wondering, what is the Diet Love Pass? Well, if you're a podcast listener, I'm going to assume you know what the fuck this is. If not, we're doing it. It's everywhere. This was an incident that occurred in February of 1959. Ten Russian hikers were climbing the northern... Ural? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. The northern Ural Mountains, and nine of them ended up dying in very uncertain and strange circumstances. This story is wild. It is wild. If you like mysteries, I mean, this is like top of the list. Mm -hmm. So, okay. The group was made up of eight men and two women. Each member of the group was an experienced grade two hiker with ski tour experience. Mm -hmm. I do want to put a disclaimer in here. Um, The number of hikers somehow is weirdly up in the air a little. Yes. Uh, Some say 10, but I don't know if maybe the 10 isn't counting the leader and it's actually 11. Okay. It's, I, I was having a real difficult time with this throughout the sources. So there's that, that. give (laughs) or take a person or two. I don't know. And so after this hike, they would be receiving their grade three certification upon their return. (laughs) And at the time, this was the highest certification available in the Soviet Union and required candidates to traverse 300 kilometers, which is 190 miles. That is so far. I that don't is... want to drive that far. No. 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 The leader was Igor Alexievich Dyatlov. And oddly enough, um, I guess they share the name. It is named after him. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. What he... ho? 
This is wild. He was 23 years old. That is so crazy. 23? 23, just out there fucking traversing the snowy mountains, I guess. I think in 1959, 23 was more like 33. True. He was a radio engineering student at the Ural Polytechnical Institute, which is now called Ural Federal University, and was the leader of the group, um, and he assembled them all. And most of them were fellow students and peers at the university. So now I'm going to let Madeline read these uh, kick-ass names. Uh, uh, Let's see if I can nail it. I have spent a bit of time in my youth reading Russian lit, so we'll see if it pays off. Um, First up, we have Yuri Nikolaevich Dorshenko, age 21. Now, this first name is a real question mark, but I'm going to try. I'm going with Yudmila. That sounds very, yeah. Alexandrovna Dubinina. <laughs> that just reminded me of. Age 20. The way you said that <laughs> reminded me of on Bridesmaids when she gets up on stage <laughs> and starts saying random Spanish words. <laughs> yeah, she's like <laughs> in Las Cuelas. <laughs> the school. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Now we're moving on to our fourth hiker. I think this is Georgie. Nicknamed Yuri. So we've got two Yuris happening. Alexievich Krivonoshenko, I think. Perfect. Yes. Alexander, oh, he is age 23. Alexander Sergeyevich Kolevatov, age 24. Zenaida Alexievna Kolmogorovna, age 22. Uh, Rustim. Vladmirovich Slobdovin. There's no V in there. It's Slobdovin. <laughs> no, it isn't. It's Bowden. <laughs> I'm switching my D and my B. Slobodin. That's what it is. I love it. H23. Rustim, I'm so sorry. Um, then we have Nikolai Vladmirovich Thibaut Brignoles. Uh, so he's got a little French happening. Age 23. And then Simeon. Nickname Alexander. Alexevich Zolotaryov. Age 38. So he's a wild card. He was originally certified to join a different group, but ended up with the Diet Love group somehow. I don't know if it... Whatever. Probably a timing thing. Now we have a third Yuri. Yuri Yefimovich Yudin. Age 21. <laughs> his name... His initials are YYY. <laughs> oh my god. I'm so sorry. Um, so... Yeah. <laughs> that I feel so horrible that this person died tragically and I'm laughing really hard at their initials. 
So now we're going to get into it. The route was designed by Dyatlov's group to reach the far northern regions of Sverdlovsk, a blast, and the upper streams of the Lozva River. The route was approved by the City Route Commission. (laughs) There's so many Russian words in here. Oh, shit. This was a division of the Sverdlovsk Committee of Physical Culture and sport, and they confirmed the group of 10 people on January 8th, 1959. Okay, so we have another 10. We got another 10 number. The goal of the expedition was to reach Otorten, which was a mountain 10 kilometers, which is 6.2 miles, north of the site where the incident occurred. This route, undertaken in February, was estimated as a Category 3, the most difficult time to traverse. Mm. I want none of that. No, thank you. If I ever, like, meet a new friend and they're like, I love to hike, I'm going to be like, this isn't going to work. Um, I've hiked in Colorado. And you almost died, so. Well, I almost died in Colorado because the campsite we were at didn't have a shower. Right. So I almost died of being dirty. <laughs> <laughs> but the hiking was fine. No, thank you. I don't mind hiking. I certainly do not want to hike an actual mountain, though. Absolutely not. Um, I will no. I will hike a very short incline, if need be, like on a sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> on January 23rd, 1959, the Dietlov group was issued their route book, which listed their course as following the number five trail. At that time, the City Committee of Physical Culture and Sport listed approval for 11 people. The fuck? Weird. So the group left the Sverdlovsk. <laughs> I just don't know. Uh, city, which is today called <laughs> Yekaterinburg. <laughs> um, it probably sounds much cooler when pronounced correctly. We're not laughing at these names. We're laughing at the fact that we do not know how to pronounce them. Absolutely. Please don't misconstrue the hilarity. We no. are laughing at our own selves. Absolutely. Um, so they left the same day that they received the route book. So once again, we're still not sure where the 11th person went because there are only 10 listed names. Yeah. This is a yet another layer to the mystery. Very weird. Um, the group arrived by train at Ivdel. So that was a town at the center of the northern province of (laughs) Sverdlovsk Oblast in the early morning hours of January 25th, 1959. They then took a truck to Vizhai, a lorry village that is the last inhabited settlement to the north. While spending the night in V's High, the skiers purchased and ate loaves of bread to keep their energy levels up for the following day's hike. On January 27th, they began their trek toward Gora O Torten. On January 28th, one member, Yuri Yudin, who suffered from several health ailments, including rheumatism and a congenital heart defect, 
turn back due to knee and joint pain that made him unable to continue the hike. But the remaining nine hikers continued the trek. I want to give him mad props for even attempting. Yeah. He's got rheumatism and congenital heart defect. And he's going to try and traverse the mountain. Insane. Absolutely insane. Hmm. So earlier when we, when I laughed at his initials, you know what? He didn't die on the trek. So (laughs) I feel less bad. (laughs) On January 31st. So we're fucking skipping ahead. That's my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, Maddie's dad. Um, The group arrived at the edge of the highland area and began to prep for climbing. In a wooded valley, they cached surplus food and equipment that would be used for the trip back. Right. So they're storing it somewhere so that they for sure have food on the trek back. Because if they take it with them, they would be tempted to eat it. Right. The next day, the hikers started to move through the pass. It seems... That they planned to get over the pass and make camp for the next night on the opposite side. But because of the worsening weather conditions, which, I mean, snowstorms. Hello. Duh. um, They obviously couldn't fucking see. Right. They lost their direction and deviated west toward the top of Colet Siaki. (laughs) That's an L. (laughs) I think it's... (laughs) Yeah. Colet Siakle. There you go. Siakle? I think it's probably Siak. <laughs> I bet the H and the L is silent. Uh, towards top of KS. KS. When they realized their mistake, the group decided to set up camp there on the slope of the mountain rather than move another one and a half kilometers, which is about a mile downhill to a forested area that would have offered some sort of shelter from the weather. Yudin speculated Dietlov probably did not want to lose the altitude they had gained, and he decided to practice camping on the mountain slope. Um. Okay. Okay. D. Whatever. Uh, Yeah. Investigators were able to assemble these details with diaries and cameras found around their last campsite. Um. They made it possible to track the group's route up to the day preceding the incident. Yeah, so it's, like, really lucky that they were able to basically use the camera and document every single step of the way, almost, up until the accident. That's super weird, kind of. It is kind of weird. I mean, I guess they're documenting it because it's, like, a monumentous achievement to make this climb and all of that. But still... It's crazy mm-hmm. that it was still usable. Yeah. Hmm. Makes oh, you wonder. It does make you wonder. Now we're going to get on to the search and discovery. So before leaving for the trip, Dietlov had agreed he would send a telegram to the sports club as soon as the group returned to Viz High which was the village they left out of. So it was expected that this would happen no later than the 12th of February, but apparently Dietlov had told Yuri Yudin before he left the group that he that Dietlov expected it to be a bit longer than that. So essentially, 
since Yuri Yudin left the group before they actually began their climb, he had a little more insight into, like, the intentions of the group. Yeah. So when the 12th came and went without any messages, no one really reacted or worried because the delay of just a few days was pretty common. And also, Yudin was there to say, yo... He expected it to take a little while longer anyway. But by February 20th, the relatives of the travelers were like, uh, yo, where are my people at? Mm-hmm. And that's when they contacted the head of the institute and they had the first rescue group sent to look for the group. And this was consisting of volunteer students and teachers. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> um, but this was 1959, so nothing made sense. Right. And obviously that didn't work out. So later, the army and military forces became involved. Duh. And they took planes and helicopters to speed this along. So on February 26th, the rescue groups found the abandoned and bad badly damaged tent on KS. The campsite really uh, baffled the search party. Mikhail Sharavan was one of the students, and he actually is the one who found the tent, said, quote, the tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty, and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. Hmm. End quote. Investigators also said that the tent had been cut open from the inside. So weird. Odd. Nine sets of footprints left behind by people wearing only socks or a single shoe or even barefoot could be seen leading down the edge of nearby wooded area on the opposite side of the pass from the tent. About one and a half kilometers, or close to a mile, to the northeast is where these footprints are. After about 500 meters, ugh, the metric system, which is about 1,600 feet, these tracks were covered with snow, so they couldn't really, they like ended in a dead end or whatever. Right. And at the forest edge, under a large Siberian pine... The searchers found the visible remains of a small fire. So we've got a tent that has no people in it. There's shoes in it, though. There's shoes in it. Belongings. So we're going to take stock here. At this point in the search, we have no people yet. No people. We've got an empty tent that still has all the shoes and belongings in it. It was cut open from the inside. From the inside, we've got a set of footprints for each hiker, none of them fully shooed. (laughs) And we've got a fire. Uh, Yeah. I just don't like the cut open from the inside part. If you're trying to get out of your tent, you just unzip it. Unless there's snow blocking the zip part of the tent. Right, but I mean, that whole 
tent wasn't surrounded in snow. Right. Let's see. Nope. It was just damaged. Uh, oh, it said the tent was half torn down and covered with snow. I mean, who's to say this? I, I don't know. I think it's weird. It, it is very weird, obviously. It's still a mystery to this day. So just keep all of those facts in mind as we move forward with our search. So after they found the remains of the fire, this is when they find the first two bodies. And those are Krivonoshenko and Doroshenko. So the Shenkos. They are both shoeless and dressed only in underwear. The branches of the tree under which they are found were broken up to five meters high, suggesting that one of them may have tried to climb up it to look for something. Perhaps the camp, maybe? I mean... How, how are you climbing a tree in your underwear with no shoes? Fucking... I don't know, man. That seems crazy. So, between the pine where the two Shankos were found and the camp, the searchers found three more bodies. And those are Dyatlov, Kolmorgova, and Slobodin, who all three died in poses suggesting that they were attempting to return to the tent. So they were facing their original camp. They were found at the distances of 300, 480, and 630 meters from the tree. Hmm. So they were a long ways away from the tree. So it looks like the tree is the farthest point, and that's where the two Shankos were found. And then, a, like, halfway back to the camp from the tree is where they start finding the other three. In a line, basically. In a line, yeah. yeah. So those are the only five bodies that are found for a while. The remaining four travelers took more than two months to discover. They were finally found on May 4th under four meters or 13 feet of snow in a ravine about 75 meters or 246 feet further into the woods past the tree. So they're the farthest point away from the camp is the last four travelers. So they they walked a long way. Yeah, and they were, I mean, they were all very spread out from each other. Yeah, they were, all nine were really spread out from each other except the two in the tree. Mm-hmm. So three of the four were better dressed than all of the others, and there were signs that some of the clothing they had on had had may have been removed from the first group that was found. Yeah. So, for example, 
Dubinina was wearing Kravonashenko's burned, torn trousers, and her left foot and shin were wrapped in a torn jacket. So. It's like as people were dying off, they were taking yeah. things from them. Right. To right. continue to trek on. Right, right. So, it's very weird. I'm I'm confused. It doesn't also didn't. Well, I guess Dubinina must have at least been missing at least one shoe because she had her foot wrapped in a jacket. Yeah, as like a makeshift shoe. Or was so. she injured? Like if it was wrapped around her foot and shin, do you think it was acting as a shoe, or she was injured? I don't know. I I list injuries in the next section. And I don't think there were any listings of injuries to her foot or shin, yeah. but it probably could have operated as both. Like, maybe she was getting frostbitten on her foot. So That's true. You, I, yeah, it's very hard to tell. So, obviously, once the first five bodies were found, an investigation was opened. Clearly. And when the medical exams were conducted, they found no injuries that would have caused the deaths of these hikers. Slobodin had a small crack in his skull, but it was not thought to be fatal. Right. The conclusion was that the first five hikers found had just died of hypothermia. Yeah, I didn't uh, see anywhere where it listed the average temps. So while you are finishing, I will look to see... What Perfect. kind of temps are happening here? And I mean, we've talked about before. I mean, it doesn't have to be negative fucking 50 degrees to get hypothermia. Right. Which I found incredibly shocking. Yeah. But um, I wonder how long it would take to succumb to hypothermia in this climate. I don't know. When the last four bodies were found in May, the narrative changed. Three of the four were found to have had fatal injuries. To bow... Brignoles had major skull damage, and Dubanina and Zoloturyov had major chest fractures. Weird. That, to me, like, chest fractures seems like, like blows to the chest. Yeah. It should be noted that there were no external wounds on any of the bodies. It was as if they had all just been subjected to a very high level of pressure. Mm-hmm. Very weird. Super weird. The examinations were conducted by forensic expert V.A. This is a fun one. Vazrozdini? I think so. He stated that the force required to cause this kind of damage would be extremely high. Something like a car crash. I just, I just don't know. This is yeah. just, like, where it gets real weird. Mm-hmm. All four bodies were found in a creek and also had soft tissue damage to their head and face. So, Dubanina was missing her tongue, her eyes, part of her lips, and some facial tissue and a fragment of her skull. Yeah. Super, super weird item, like, parts to be missing. Her tongue? And her fucking eyes? Her eyes? Zolotaryov was missing his eyes. And 
Kolvitz. We're pronouncing these differently each time. It's yeah, fine. It, yes. Everyone just follow We along. are trying our best. He was missing his goddamn eyebrows. Yeah, how weird is that? Um, that's fucking weird. And Vaz Rosdini, which is the forensic expert, judged that these were injuries um, that occurred post-mortem, possibly due to animals. Yeah. Um, a lot of them did like come to the conclusion that it was predation, since they were found in a creek. Yeah. Although the temperature was very, very low, around negative 25 to negative 30 degrees Celsius, which Uh is... I did put the temperature in there. You did. Which is negative 13 to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit. So, real goddamn cold. Real cold. With a storm blowing, um, the dead were only partially dressed. Some had only one shoe, while others only wore socks. Some were found wrapped in snips of ripped clothes that seemed to have been cut from those who were already dead, like we said earlier. So this is just kind of a rundown on, like, basically the facts that were set in stone. This is basically, like, it. This is the only This is what we know. Yeah. Yeah. Six of the group members died of hypothermia and three of fatal injuries. So that's nine. Where's where's number ten? Remember, he left oh, that's, at the beginning. Okay, that's, yes. that's Yurden. Uh, yeah. yep. I'm still wondering about the mystery 11th person. Uh, yeah, this is very weird. Okay. Um, there were no indications of other people nearby on KS apart from these nine travelers. The tent had been ripped open from within. The victims had died six to eight hours after their last meal. Traces from the camp showed that all group members left the campsite of their own accord on foot. Right, the footprints. Right. Some levels of radiation were found on the victims' clothing. Very weird. Very weird. Um, To dispel the theory of an attack by the indigenous Monsai people, Vaz Rosdini (laughs) stated that the fatal injuries of the three bodies could not have been caused by human beings, quote, because the force of the blows had been too strong and no soft tissue had been damaged. Which is weird because it does say soft tissue damage, but probably because of their faces being in the water? I'm guessing so. Okay. Some release documents um, contain no information about the condition of their internal organs. So that's weird. Yeah, that is weird. And last but not least, there were no survivors. Right. None. At the time of the incident, the official conclusion was that the group died of, quote, a compelling natural force. I'm so glad that that's so rich in detail. Yeah. The inquest closed in May 1959, and the files were sent to a secret archive. Right. So the inquest was closed the same month the last four victims were found. Yeah. Just fucking open shut. We're done. They're dead. Yeah. We don't know what happened. Okay, Nothing's goodbye. weird about this. Nothing's weird. In 1997... It was revealed that the negatives from from Shanko's camera 
were kept in the private archive of one of the investigators, Lev Ivanov. Close. Yeah. Yeah. The film material was donated by Ivanov's daughter to the Diet Law Foundation, which um, the diaries of the hiking party fell into Russia's public domain in 2009. Yep. That sounds very, like, sinister. Public domain. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably just, like, open records now. Which, 2009 is, like, a long time after 1959. Yeah, Yeah, it is. (laughs) So, it took a while. A while. You know, like, 50 years. Yeah, just a cool 50 years. It's cool. On April 12th, 2018, Zolo Terev's remains were exhumed on the initiative of journalists of the Russian tabloid newspaper, Komsomlop... I can't. I think it's Kom... Somolaskaya Pravada. Perfect. Contradictory results were obtained. One of the experts said that the character of the injuries resembled a person knocked down by a car. Well, that's intense. That's helpful. Yeah. Like, there's a car on this mountain. What the fuck? And the DNA analysis did not reveal any similarity to the DNA of living relatives. (laughs) What does that mean? Um... That's concerning. He wasn't related to any of his relatives. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck. Okay, cool. In addition, it turned out that the Zolotarev's name was not on the list of those buried at the cemetery. (laughs) Nevertheless, the reconstruction of the face from the exhumed skull matched post-war photographs of Zolotarev, although journalists expressed suspicions that another person was hiding under his name after World War II. This is just this is, snowballing. This is going in a very weird direction. Yes. In February of 2019, Russian authorities reopened the investigation into the incident, although only three possible explanations were being considered. An avalanche. A slab avalanche. And a hurricane. <laughs> I'm so, confused about the hurricane. Yeah. So the whole possibility of any type of crime that caused the death of all of these people had just been discounted. Right. But okay. Yeah. That's where we're at with it. We're it's... just gonna now go through some of the theories. Yeah. And... um First, we're going to start off with the most obvious, and that's the avalanche. Um, So this was obviously the first theory that occurred to investigators the very night. Uh, No, I'm reading my own writing incorrect. (laughs) So the theory goes that the avalanche happened in the night and that the group woke up to sliding snow. And obviously panicked, as you would, and then cut themselves out of the tent, either because the avalanche had covered the entrance, or because they were scared that the avalanche was imminent. Better to have potentially repairable slit in a tent than risk being buried alive under tons of snow. Right. Um, That last part I don't get, because, no, the first part... It seems obvious that they would cut their way out of the tent if the entrance to the tent was blocked by snow already. Right. That seems obvious. 
but to cut your way out of a tent because the avalanche appeared to be imminent, I feel like you don't need to cut yourself out at that point. You just go out the entrance. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, but it did say in the investigation portion that snow was covering half of the tent. So, uh, what I, you, I don't know. We just don't know. They were poorly clothed because they had been sleeping and ran to safe to the safety of the nearby woods where the trees would um, slow the oncoming snow. That seems logical. In the dark, and obviously one of the explanations for them getting separated and or appearing to be lost, like the tree climbing incident, yeah, uh, is that it happened at night. So they so it was dark. Obviously. In a panic, it's dark. There's probably plumes of snow everywhere. Right. So it's not shocking that they got separated and or lost. And then they made a fire. I I don't know where the fire comes in. Yeah, like the avalanche just died down. And they're like, well, let's just start a fire right here. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I understand fire is very important when you're in situations like surviving on a fucking mountain right right but i don't know why they didn't just walk back to their campsite Mm -hmm. maybe like they were just worried of like fucking with the newly shifted snow that's possible um but it did some of the victims did have burns on their hands maybe from starting the fire possibly from starting the fire while the others tried to return to the tent to recover their clothing since the danger had passed, but it was too cold and they all froze before they could locate their tent in the darkness. Um, And then at some point, some of the clothes from the deceased were removed and swapped out or whatever by the others who had not yet succumbed. So the group of four whose bodies were most severely damaged were caught in the avalanche and buried under four meters of snow. More than enough to account for the, quote, compelling natural force, quoted by the medical examiner. But uh, I feel like it doesn't fully account for Duvenina's tongue being removed. They're saying scavengers and ordinary predation by animals, but if they're under four meters of snow, what predator is scavenging at, at, under that much snow? I don't know. I think that's very weird. I agree. I think that's very weird. Um, so that's the theory for the avalanche. Seems like it explains some things, but not other things. I don't Whatever. Know. Whatever. So our next theory is catabatic wind. Never heard of it. Me either. In 2019, a Swedish-Russian expedition was made to the site, and after investigations, they proposed that a violent catabatic wind was a plausible explanation for the incident. These winds are somewhat rare events and can be extremely violent. They were implicated in a 1978 case at... Anaris Mountain in Sweden, where eight hikers were killed and one was severely injured in the aftermath of a catabatic wind. I I feel like this is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, it's 
Fucking crazy ass wind. Strong winds. Yes. The topography of these locations were noted to be very similar according to the expedition. A sudden catabatic wind would have made it impossible to remain in the tent, and the most rational course of action would have been for the hikers to cover the tent with snow and seek shelter behind the tree line. I'm, I'm, I'm confused about the covering the tent with snow. Like, if the wind was so bad, like, how are they just, like, out there covering the tent with snow? Yeah, I mean, I understand the reason to cover the tent with snow so it doesn't blow away, because that's your only source of shelter. But how, if it's so violent... That you can't stay in the tent? How are you you taking the time to put snow on it? Yeah, and if it's so violent that you're having to cut your way out of it? Yeah. This does not seem to hold water, you guys. I am fully, fully dismissing this theory. I'm fully off of this wagon. So on top of the tent, there was also a torch left turned on, possibly left there intentionally so that the hikers could find their way back to the tent once the winds were done doing their thing. Well, how did the winds not blow out the torch? Right. How did, I mean, right. duh. The expedition proposed that the group of hikers constructed two bivouac shelters, one of which collapsed, leaving four of the hikers buried with the severe injuries observed. That didn't happen. None of that happened. No, there were no other shelters found. No. And so are they, it's, so leaving the four hikers buried with severe injuries, are they proposing that the catabatic winds triggered an avalanche? So we're looking at a mashup of scenarios one and two to create the third scenario that both of them contributed? This is too much. Yeah. Too much. I agree. So... Another hypothesis is infrasound. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is popularized by Donnie Iker in his 2013 book, Dead Mountain. And it's that wind going around KS created a Carmen Vortex Street which can produce infrasound capable of inducing panic attacks in humans. According to Iker's theory, the infrasound generated by the wind as it passed over the top of the Holotachal Mountain. I don't think I pronounced that right. Holotachal. 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 Cool. I'm going with that last one was responsible for causing physical discomfort and mental distress in the hikers. No. Iker claims that because of their panic, the hikers were driven to leave the tent by whatever means necessary, i.e. cutting the tent open, and fled down the slope. And by the time they were further down the hill, they would have been out of the infrasound's path and would have regained their composure but in the darkness would have been unable to return to their shelter. And the traumatic injuries suffered by three of the victims were the result of their stumbling over the edge of a ravine in the darkness and landing on the rocks at the bottom. Well, no, that's just not right. No. If you land on rocks, there's going to be external injuries. Lots of them. And they said there were no external injuries. Right. So, Iker, I'm sorry, you're wrong. No, thank you. Go away now. 
So next we have military tests. Everyone loves a good conspiracy. Yes, we do. In one speculation, the campsite fell within the path of the Soviet parachute mine exercise. Whoa. This theory alleges that the hikers, woken by loud explosions, fled the tent in a shoeless panic and found themselves unable to return for their supplies. And some members froze to death, attempting to endure the bombardment, while others commandeered their clothing, only to be fatally injured by subsequent parachute mine concussions. Mm. There are indeed records of parachute mines being tested by the Soviet military in the area around the time that the hikers were there. So it's not super far-fetched. It is not. Parachute mines detonate while still in the air rather than upon striking the Earth's surface, and they produce signature injuries similar to those experienced by the hikers. Heavy internal damage with relatively little external trauma. So, um, is... Are these explosives basically like... I'm feeling like a wave scenario. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing. Like, yes. So they're in the path of the, like, wave of concussion, and it puts pressure. Yes. Okay, like a shock wave. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm following. This theory coincides with reported sightings of glowing orange orbs whoa floating and or falling in the sky within the general vicinity of the hikers and allegedly photographed by them potentially military aircraft or descending parachute mines and this theory among others uses scavenging animals to explain dubanina's injuries so Hmm. okay some speculate that the bodies were unnaturally manipulated on the basis of characteristic liver mortis markings discovered during an autopsy as well as burns to the hair and skin. Photographs of the tent allegedly show that it was erected incorrectly, which which something the experienced hikers were unlikely to have done. Right. People who are like fucking level two and three hikers. They be knowing how to erect a tent. I mean, come on. Yeah. A similar theory alleges the testing of radiological weapons and is based partly on the discovery of radioactivity on some of the clothing, as well as the descriptions of the bodies by relatives as having orange skin and gray hair. Weird. And like, weird that this is the first mention. I know. Orange skin and gray hair? That's really weird and very specific very the orange i mean are we we're dealing oompa loompa status right here yeah orange skin so weird however radioactive dispersal would have affected all not just some of the hikers and equipment and the skin and hair discoloration can be explained by a natural process of mummification after three months of exposure to the cold and wind Really? That's so weird. The initial suppression by Soviet authorities of files describing the group's disappearance, sometimes mentioned as evidence of a cover-up. 
But the concealment of information about domestic incidents were standard procedure in the USSR and thus far from peculiar. Well, okay. By the late 1980s, all dialogue files have been released in some manner. So everything they have is out there. Yeah. Yeah. So. But there was a... It said up here that there was allegedly photos showing these glowing orbs. Like, where are those photos? Right. I didn't see any. Mm-mm. I just saw, like, pictures of them hiking in the snow. And that's it. And this, like, the pictures of them hiking, first of all, wildly creepy. And second of all, the snow is so high. It's like yeah. knee-high snow. Yeah. I can only imagine. This is not, no. No, thank you. I want to be out in that weather for 15 minutes. Tops. Tops. <laughs> okay, so our next theory is... Fucking outrageous, but it's paradoxical undressing. So, a periodical called the International Science Times has theorized that the hikers' deaths were caused by hypothermia, which we already knew that five of them did die of hypothermia. That was already stated. But This publication is saying that they died of hypothermia only and it caused a behavior known as paradoxical undressing in which hypothermic people remove their clothes in response to perceived feelings of warmth, which we've talked about before when we did LISC. Mm -hmm. And uh, Shannon Gilbert was found partially clothed in the marshes. And they said she died of hypothermia and that the last stage of hypothermia is removing your clothes. So, I mean, obviously, since some of the people were found undressed, or partially so, and they were already determined to have died of hypothermia, it's possible that they just took off their own clothes, but then finding their clothes on other hikers... Right, it it, doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. It just seems like... The first hikers died, and the second hikers were like, they're already dead. We should take their clothes so we do not also die. Right. That makes the most sense. Um, It is undisputed that six of the nine hikers died of hypothermia. However, others in the group appear to have acquired additional clothing. Duh. Which suggests they were found. They were sound enough to add layers. Duh. Everything we just said. Yes. So that one is basically... A farce. It means nothing. Right. So. Okay. So before we get into the big question, Keith McCloskey, finally a fucking name that I can pronounce, (laughs) who has researched the incident for many years and has appeared in several TV docs on the subject, actually traveled to the past in 2015 with Yuri Kuntsevich, who is part of the Dialogue Foundation. At the dialogue pass, he noted the following. There were wide discrepancies and distances quoted between the two possible locations of the snow shelter where Dubanina, Kolvatov, Zolotarev, and Thibaut Brignoles yeah. <laughs> were found. One location was approximately 80 to 100 meters from the pine. Don't have the mile. Um, 
conversion on that. So just use your fucking imagination. Mm-hmm. So 80 to 100 meters from the pine tree where the bodies of the Shankos were found. And the other suggested location was so close to the tree that anyone in the snow shelter could have spoken to those at the tree without raising their voices. Wild. Mm. The second location also has a rock in the stream where Dubonina's body was found and is the more likely location of the two. However... So, so there's he's saying here that the suggestion, under the theory that they left their original camp and tried to create new snow shelters, and that the first possible location is close to the tree, and the second is in the creek. Or near the creek. Yes. Okay, I'm tracking. However, the second suggested location of the two has a topography that is closer to the photos taken at the time of the search in 1959. So... Okay. There be that. But doesn't... Wouldn't wouldn't you think that the topography has changed a bit? I would think so. I mean, it's been 50 goddamn years. Yeah. I'm guessing it's changed. I mean, come on, climate change. The location of the tent near the ridge was found to be too close to the spur of the ridge for any significant buildup of snow to even cause an avalanche. Furthermore, the prevailing wind blowing over the ridge had the effect of blowing snow away from the edge of the ridge on the side where the tent was. This further reduced any buildup of snow to cause an avalanche. This aspect of the lack of snow on the top and near the top of the ridge was pointed out by Sergei Sogren in 2010. So yeah. they're basically saying... No avalanche. No avalanche. Right. Right. Weird. That's like one of the reasons this is such a huge mystery is because when they found the site, there wasn't enough snow buildup for it to have been a full-fledged avalanche. Right. So they're like, what the fuck? This has all the card callings of an avalanche, but no snow. Yep. So, like, the main factor of an avalanche is absent. I just don't know. I simply do not know. What they're not talking about is aliens. Yes. Where's the alien theorists in this situation? I mean... I'm on a need-to-know basis here. UFOlogists, get on it. Please. So now that we've moved through the theories swiftly, or not so, we're going to see if maybe this mystery has potentially been solved. Um, You'll have to judge for yourself. So on July 11th of 2020, oh, this guy is spending his pandemic quarantine in the correct way, investigating very old mysteries. Perfect. So, Andrei Kuryakov, deputy head of the Urals Federal District Directorate of the Prosecutor General's Office. Fuck, why do people name departments so many names? Just pick a name. Anyway, so Kuryakov announced an avalanche to be, quote, the official cause of death for the Dyatlov group in 1959. This is a bold statement. Later, an independent computer simulation and analysis by Swiss researchers 
also suggest avalanche as the cause. Okay. So to round out our coverage of the dialogue pass, we're going to discuss how Frozen may have led to the breakthrough in this mystery. Here we go. And yes, we do mean Frozen as in the movie. Let it go, people. (laughs) (laughs) I had to. I had to. So... Again, using computer models inspired by the movie Frozen, scientists have come up with a theory that may finally solve this mystery. In early 2021, a study suggested the most compelling theory yet. That theory is that the Diet Lab team was driven from their camp and fatally injured by a rare type of avalanche. There are many, many reasons why people have resisted the idea of an avalanche, and the biggest one of those is the lack of snow. So, the abandoned tent was torn open and covered in snow, but not buried, as it would have been in the case of a typical snow slide. The shelter had been erected on the mountainside at an incline of less than 30 degrees, which is typically the threshold needed to start an avalanche. The minimum incline is 30 degrees. It has to be more of an incline. So not good stats for an avalanche. Right. But aside from these obstacles, there is also the traumatic physical injuries the three of the hikers to contend with. A A typical avalanche isn't likely to explain those injuries. I don't understand that. Most people have said that is why they think avalanche is the traumatic injuries. So, right. I don't know. This is contradictory. Um, but last year, the revised theory, supported by Russia, after a new inquest, concluded that the rare small slab avalanche had been the cause of the tragedy. So slab avalanches occur when a layer of snow close to the surface comes loose from the layer beneath and rolls down an incline in large chunks. This would have, would have left behind less evidence than a more dramatic event, obviously. And the fast-moving snow blocks would have been capable of injuring some campers without smothering them. And how does this all come back to the movie Frozen? Well, so, Johan Guam, his impression of the 2013 film differed from other viewers. Most people saw a lighthearted musical for kids... He saw the potential for a scientific discovery. Cool. He's a Swiss scientist and he studies avalanches and the way they act under different conditions. After watching Frozen and how the characters escape from snow falling down a CGI mountain, he planned a trip to Hollywood. As you do. He met with the Frozen (laughs) snow effects specialist, got permission to use the actual code used to animate the snow in the movie, worked with Alexander Puzrin, I think, a fellow avalanche researcher from the Swiss Federal Institute, to apply and adapt the version of the code to the Diet Lab Pass incident and their findings reported in a study published in the journal Communications, Earth, and Environment in January 2021. So they published this shit in an actual science journal. That is insane. That's really insane. He's just over here watching Frozen... And he's like, light bulb. (laughs) I have to now go to Hollywood and ask them to use their shit to solve this age-old mystery. Why not? Why not? 
53 years after the fact, we've got Johan over here solving shit with Disney. So, their computer simulation showed a block of ice smaller than an SUV could have been capable of breaking the bones of the Diet Lab campers while they slept on their backs. Okay. The fractures wouldn't necessarily have caused instant death, which would explain how the injured made it so far from camp. Likely with help from their luckier tent mates before succumbing to the damage. The study also calculates how a type of wind known as catabatic wind could have triggered the flap avalanche hours after the group set up camp. So, we're circling back to what I said after the first two theories. A combination of avalanche and catabatic winds. That's mm-hmm. what we have here. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say the book is closed on this one, but I'm pretty convinced by Frozen Guy. I just think that's fucking amazing. (laughs) Like, what a person. This guy must be constantly thinking about avalanches. All the time. Every second of his waking hours, he is thinking about avalanches. I mean, you know, maybe it was something he developed an interest in as a small child and just fucking... He sent it. He ran with it forever. Just, that's good. That Way to have a very niche interest and capitalize on it. Because now he has a report in the freaking science journal, whatever it is. Oh, fucking A. Communications, Earth, and Environment. Yeah. I just, I just don't know. I know. It's so, way to go, Johan. And way to have a cool name, Johan. Yeah, I, I do like that a lot. If I was Swiss, my kid would be named Johan. For sure. Boy or girl? 100%. Johan. 100%. So, sometimes I wish I was Swiss because I would love to live in Switzerland. You know, I don't think about Switzerland a lot. (laughs) I actually, (laughs) the main reason I think about Switzerland randomly is Dakota and I watched this show like, amazing houses around the world or something. Mm -hmm. And obviously one of them is in the Swiss Alps. Duh. Duh. Because it's, like, the most scenic part of the earth. And I thought to myself, I need to live in Switzerland. Why why don't I? It's lovely there. Why are we here? I ask myself this question daily. Daily. Why? am I here? Who am I? (laughs) Where am I going? (laughs) That is the intro to a youth song. Um, (laughs) I do ask myself those questions. Help me. (laughs) So I, I guess, I, I guess we mark this one as solved. I don't know. What, Are you taking the Frozen explanation? I think I am. I'm going to accept the Frozen explanation, too. We have a consensus. Between Johan himself and Frozen, and I think that's all I need. Oh, yeah. To mark this one as case closed. Case fucking closed. It's wild, but it's been closed. Yeah. Which, funny, this is like recent this is this year type shit if we would have covered this whenever tyler originally requested it we wouldn't have had this last bit of information that's true 
This is fortuitous, you guys. Yes, it is. We could not have graced you with our frozen thoughts if we had done this when we said we were going to. (laughs) How serendipitous. You know what, though? The slab avalanche doesn't explain the missing eyes and tongue, though. Or the radiation. I don't like the discolored skin and the (laughs) fucking missing eyes. (laughs) Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. I know everyone's going to say it's regular predation, but... I don't know. What serious question is what type of predation is normal for Siberia in February? I, I feel like Siberia is just fucking intense. Right. Yeah. I just... <laughs> I'm... Yes, that is 100% true. But I don't know... I st- they were under so much snow. Yeah. So the, I feel like the only thing underneath there is, like, bugs. Are bugs gonna actually no, do that? No, I don't feel like they are. And no they're bugs? gonna be frozen. Frozen bugs? There aren't any bugs. I, I just... I don't know. I don't know either. Speaking of bugs, um, I'm gonna segue this in a jarring manner to uh, a struggle I've been having. Oh, here we go. And it's bugs. Fuck. So, I'm on my front porch. Now, I spray my whole front porch with, like, bug repellent Mm -hmm. shit. Because I can't with bugs. I just can't. I don't do bugs at all. I I don't want to kill them. But, anyway, today I walk in my house and was virtually attacked by a spider. Okay? That's not okay. Uh, it It didn't get on me. But it was very touch and go. And Dakota is not home right now. And I said, excuse me, sir. How am I supposed to remain alive if I have to be responsible for killing the spiders in this house? It's not something you should have to do alone. Um, no. I've never in my life been able to actually defend myself against the (laughs) (laughs) eight-legged. It's never been a forte of mine, and Dakota can attest to this. He's lived with me for the last eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just can't do it. And I come by this I mean, very honestly. I don't like spiders, but I, I don't like, I don't lose it if I see one. I just kill it. I have a real terror that it's going to get on me if I get close enough to actually kill it. No. I need, like, long-range killing techniques. <laughs> the... <laughs> I have a spider spray specific to kill spiders. It's called Hot Shot. You need to spray your fucking house with straight peppermint oil. I know. I do. And I have peppermint oil out the ass in this house because of headaches. Um, right. Just and... fucking get wild with it. I And I love this the smell of peppermint. This chair is starting to squeak. That means the oh, episode's yeah. about to end. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um... I just, I need Artie, I need to train Artie to do a series of things for me, and that one of those is eat spiders. So, when I was young, and I lived at home, we had a toy poodle named Rowdy. Yes, Rowdy. And he was the shit. He would fucking eat spiders. I mean, Binks and Freya pretty much fuck up spiders, or any bug, really. Yeah. April, she likes to eat bugs, Mm -hmm. but... She only eats flies and June bugs, which this is a positive. Uh, June bugs are June bugs are fucks. Yeah, yeah, and she will. Do you know what I hate more than June bugs though? What mayflies? Those fucking like, they look like huge mosquitoes. 
But they're all, like, fucking gangly and weak. <laughs> oh, the big... Okay, yeah. Yeah, I... Oh, I hate them. I so just much. don't like any bugs. I need to live in a place that has way fewer bugs. Maybe Siberia? You're right. I mean, it's. I feel like it's too cold for bugs to exist. I think you're right. I have always loved Russian names. Um, not the ones we saw today. Uh, Dubonina is very cool, though. I would like none of those. <laughs> I just like that their names, you know, are gendered. Yeah. I know that that's, like, not politically correct, but it sounds amazing. Yeah, it does. Like, Dakota's last name would be Ivanovich and mine would be Ivanova. Yeah. And I like it. I like it a lot. So, I don't... Whatever. Tell me where else besides Siberia doesn't have bugs. You know yeah, what? We need to know. <sighs> Missouri is, is heavy on the bugs. I can't move south, obviously. No. And that, that much is obvious. Right. I mean, unless you want to go, like, to Antarctica. True. There are penguins that, there. Is that south? That is the most south. Right. I guess it's just depending on which direction you go. <laughs> no. <laughs> Antarctic means absolute south. I know, but couldn't you still travel there by heading north? If you want to circumnavigate <laughs> the globe, <laughs> you will still I mean, eventually if... go south, though. You will go north to the Arctic and then go back south. It's, I haven't had food since 12 p.m. today. It's clear, it's, it's a real The brain is now wanting to know (laughs) things like that. I could move to the Arctic, which is Siberia. did feed me a graham cracker when I stopped at the house before I came here. Mm -hmm. Um, It was fucking tragic, though, because as soon as I walked in, he had, like, stepped up into the kitchen had a full gram okay like caught his toe on the step fell Mm. gram is just fucking shattered right obviously complete emotional breakdown sad cry of course it was the saddest thing i think i've ever seen right and you know how fucking cute jameson is yeah and he's just like looking at his graham cracker on the floor like this. And Caden's like, take mine. And so Jameson finally gets one, gives me one, and we ate graham crackers. He's been quoting, like, TikTok shit a lot lately. Like the macaroni with the chicken strips thing. Have you seen that? No. Oh, I'll have to send you the video of him doing that. It's hilarious. But he's been on a fucking roll lately. Yeah. My my TikTok is doing weird things right now. I'm getting so much, like, book talk. I get a lot of book talk. Which is weird, because I've never searched any of that. I've never... I've never searched anything on TikTok. Now, I have. I have searched specific people to follow, like, um, my future second husband, potentially. Well, clearly. Alex Kohler has a TikTok, because mm-hmm. he's now a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, obviously, I followed him. Well, Duh. I mean, why Got to support him. I honestly don't even think I have searched for, like, anyone. Like, I've just followed as they've popped up. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Like, mine hmm. has a lot of shit on there. Yeah. Mine does, too. But, really, like, the only people that I've searched out are people I follow on, like, YouTube. Like, Manny. Right. And Taylor Wynn, obviously. 
Yeah. Who's now a friend of the podcast because she commented uh, on our shit. Just, I know I've already talked about this, but I'm still like flying very high. Yeah. Off of that. That's crazy. I love her so much. She's amazing. Speaking of people we love, we love Haley and Ariel a lot. We really, really do. We really fucking do. One day, since I have never met Ariel and you have never met Haley, we all need to hang out. Yeah. We'll invite Chip. Yeah, we'll invite Chip if he uh, remembers that we exist. Yeah, what the fuck? We feel very slighted. I don't know if you can tell. Or maybe he's texted us. I haven't even checked our group chat in a while. I it, He has not. Okay, just making sure. You have not done that, Chip. Let me verify. Worst cousin ever. <laughs> um, yeah, the last group chat message is June 19th. What the fuck? <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, in this? June 19th? Oh, no, I meant on text messages. Well, never mind. Texting is <laughs> like, much what? more. 727. Oh, he was just asking um, what we were covering on today's episode. I don't even see. I don't even see mine. Did I delete Oof. it accidentally? You guys, I cannot be trusted with actual texting. I just sent a text to it. Okay, there it is. I can't be trusted with real texting. I'm so bad at it. I'm really bad at it. Well, you guys, thank you so much. Um, this has been great. Follow us on TikTok and Instagram <laughs> and email us, please. And uh, that's all, folks. Okay. Um, in the meantime... Please, please, please be kind to each other and stay weird. Okay, goodbye. Bye.